0: We have a topic this morning I think all of us are going to enjoy talking about, and uh, you can see behind me, we are in the midst of our Commit series. We have talked to committing to reading and studying the Bible, committing to giving and tithing, committing to prayer, and today we turn our attention to committing to fasting. And uh, let's uh, begin with a time of prayer together, and then we will dive into this. Uh, Father, we come before You in Your mercy and Your grace, and we are so thankful that You've given us just that. That You have loved us before time began, before we even knew that we needed to be loved by You, before we knew we belonged to You. Father, You have paved the way for us to be united with You and united with our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just in this moment, but around this world and for eternity. You have given us all things we need for godliness and life. Father, you've given us your word and your spirit, and I pray in this moment that you alone be glorified, that your kingdom be what comes in our hearts. Uh, Father, that your spirit would speak to us in ways that only you can. So use me as your instrument, but Father, don't allow me to get in your way. I pray that this time be a time that uh, we just draw near to your presence, that we become tighter as a family and as your bride, but uh, more importantly, closer to you, that we might be the light and salt we need to be in this world. Father, this subject is a subject that can be foreign to many of us. We may be aware of it. So, Lord, I ask You just to instruct us in Your ways. Let Your Word just dig into our inmost being. We know that it is living active. We know there's a purpose for this. So, Father, reveal it to us. Lord, we want to just be instruments that You can use in this community, in this state, in this world, that other people might come to know You in the ways that we have. So, I thank You that You are shepherd. I ask you to guide and lead us to where we need to be before we uh, leave this place this morning. And again, thank you for allowing us to once again be into your throne room of grace that we might receive mercy and grace even more. Forgive me if I failed you. Forgive us if we have failed you as we worshiped you through song. But take the lead in this moment and praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're talking about fasting this morning. I'm not going to do a poll on how many have actually fasted and, and going from late night snack to breakfast, even though we call it break fast does not count. Um, but we are lo- lo- using Jesus's outline in Matthew chapter six when we're dealing with some of our commitments. And Jesus said, "Commit to giving, commit to pray, or when you give, when you pray, and when you fast." And so we're going to be focusing on the fast and. I'm not going to ask how many of you actually fasted before, but I do want to ask this question. How many of us here want to see God in our life? How many of us here would agree we need God? Okay, if you raised your hand, or maybe you're not a hand raiser, but you're just going to do the nod thing. If if you agree with any of those statements, that you want to see God and you need God, then here's the reality, is you need to fast. As we look in Scripture, fasting is the admittance of the human dependence upon God. And though fasting is not unique to Christianity, it's not unique to uh, this avenue, there are you know, obviously dietary fasts and other worldly religions fast, the Christian fast is different because it's not about health, it's not about dieting. When you look at fasting for that purpose, what we're doing is we're looking inward to change that which is outward. But the Christian fast is for the purpose of connecting on a deeper level, gaining a deeper understanding, and making one right with the Father. So in other words, we're looking outward to change that which is inward. In 1863, these words were spoken and penned by Abraham Lincoln while our nation was in the midst of civil war. He wrote, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us, and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated, redeeming, and persevering grace, too proud to pray to God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer, and I do hereby request that all people abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and tonight at the several places of public worship and the respective homes in keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn, solemn occasion. What do you think would happen if the president today or some other political figure went across on the news and said we're going to make this day a day of fasting where we are going to pray to the Lord? How would that come across today? I don't think it'd be very good. But Lincoln understood that there is power when God's people fast, they abstain from something and focus on God. And you just think about some of the things we've already talked about. Our God has given us so many things in which we can commune and get deeper to Him. He's given us His Son Jesus, which gives us a relationship. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, He's given you His Spirit, which dwells inside of you and allows you to have access to Him. He's given us His Word, where we can open up and hear the voice of our Heavenly Father speaking to us every single day. He's given us prayer, where we can communicate with Him and and hear from Him in other avenues. And He's given us the discipline of fasting. Scripturally, fasting refers to abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. It implies emptying oneself so one might be filled with the things of God. And we're going to look at three passages this morning that deal with fasting. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 to begin. Then we'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll end our time in Matthew chapter 9. But let's begin in Matthew chapter 4. You're probably familiar with this passage as the temptation of Christ. We're going to read in verse 1 and through 11. And the word of the Lord says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him we don't have time to draw everything out of this passage. I do want to point out a few things. Notice that when Satan comes to tempt Jesus in verse 3, there again in verse 6, and then in verse 9, it comes with the idea of if Satan has no power over you except for what we give him. If. If you will do this, then I will do this. He's trying to bargain with Jesus, but Jesus sees through it. Notice also Satan knows Scripture. He knows how to twist Scripture. That's why it's important for us to be reading and studying the Word of God so we know what God is actually saying through those passages of Scripture. But we're told that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then we did this little bit of information. He was hungry. That seems kind of obvious that Jesus would be hungry, and we can look over that, but we understand that Jesus Christ, even though He was God in the flesh, He lived by human conditions. He became hungry, he became sad, he became weary. And through fasting, what he declared is his dependence on God. And this is the first part about understanding the fast. Fast is for dependence on God. We notice that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus fasted to begin his ministry. He fasted to overcome the enemy and he fasted to prepare for our salvation. Jesus fasted. Some think that this portion of Scripture that was up there for 40 days and 40 nights is to give a similarity to when Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights receiving the law. And that could be possible, but I don't think Jesus was trying to be like Moses. Jesus was trying to be Himself, but He was preparing Himself for what lied ahead in His full dependence upon God throughout the next several ministries. We don't know that Jesus fasted any other time in His ministry outside of this point because it's never mentioned. Though it's possible, as the Day of Atonement was the one-time requirement upon Jewish people to fast. But here's the thing. If Jesus fasted in this moment to show His dependence upon God, how much should we? How much should we take into the spiritual discipline of fasting in our life? David Mathis points out that throughout Scripture, fasting had purposes. People fasted for repentance. They fasted. In the midst of difficult situations, they fasted for favor from God. They fasted for direction from God. And they fasted for a need of God. And when we fast, we fast by declaring our dependence on God to do what only He can do in our life. John Piper writes fasting is an internal spiritual matter of finding more contentment in Christ than food. We become aware that our bodies, need food and need nourishment some of y'all hopefully not yet but maybe anybody's stomach started to growl yet yeah, too early of a breakfast for some of y'all but some of y'all are going to start to growl some sometimes i can see it in your faces when i go a little bit longer than normal that your uh appointment for lunch is is getting near we know we need food. Our bodies remind us we need food. Our stomachs do those strange growling things. Just point out, my wife, she has the coolest stomach in the world. It will talk to you every time she moves around. But our, our stomachs growl. Anybody feel awkward when your stomachs growl in public? Yeah. Uh, we get headaches. Sometimes if we haven't eaten in a while, we begin to get headaches. We feel dizzy or lightheaded. It changes our emotional response to things. Anybody would admit that you're a hangry person at times? Yeah, and so we understand, and our body reminds us, we need food and need nourishment. This last week on Wednesday, when we got the beautiful weather that came through, I had several meetings already lined up for the day. And so I woke up at my early time and and began having, I had my breakfast, which my breakfast is typically a shake, maybe a piece of toast. And that was about 6 a.m. And then I began heading out for the rest of my meetings for the day. And so I had meeting after meeting after meeting. By the time my last meeting ended, it was 1 o'clock, and my stomach was letting me know that it needed some nourishment and needed some love. And so I finally wrapped up the the final meeting. I got in the car and turned it on. You're ready to drive home and did some food. Because in my head, I don't know if you all do this either, I knew what leftovers were still in the fridge for me. And so I was like, yes, if I did there before the kids get it, or maybe they left me something because they love me, I'm going to get some good food. Turn the car on, and my car does this little ding, 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 it reminded me that it needed something, as one of our tires had gone low. And so I checked it and thought, well, maybe I could drive it, but I didn't know what the weather's going to do the rest of the day, so I knew I needed to take care of it, so I had to put off my dependence on food for a second. So I went to the first gas station, I pushed the little button, and it sounded like air was coming out, but it didn't put air in the tire, it took air out of the tire which made it even worse. Now I could not put it off. And so I went to the next gas station, and it, I was willing to pay at this point in time. I hate paying for air for my tire, but I was at the point, I'm going to pay. I'm so stinking hungry, I'm going to pay. And it would not take any sort of payment, and it would not work. And so I went and asked the person, oh, yeah, it hasn't been working for a while. And I said, out of order signs, go on those, those type of things, you know, because I was getting hungry, I was getting frustrated at this moment. So I drove to the next gas station that I knew had free air, which is, Uh, the one right off 65 and i go to put air in the tire and it didn't work and it took more air out of the tire that time so now i'm freaking out because i'm like at 12 psi and i'm driving all the way into springfield finally found a gas station that puts air into the tire like the thing says it will do by that time i've been driving around for an hour i was getting a headache i was getting frustrated i was aggravated i remember talking to jamie on the phone i don't remember what we talked about but i was i was not in a good place spiritually mentally by the time i get home abby comes running downstairs she's my welcoming party whenever they're home from school or even after school and she comes running downstairs doing her skippy things and and she's all smiling happy and she begins into a conversation with me asking me questions and i apologize abby because at that moment in time The love of Christ was not ready to come out of me. And so I had to tell her, hang on, just hold that thought. Daddy's very hungry. He has a headache and I need to get something into my stomach because I haven't, I just need food. And so I was like a walking Snickers commercial at the time where I was like hangry and I couldn't deal with things. Our body reminds us of this when we get hungry. That we are dependent upon something to nourish us. And our bodies depend upon food, but here's the thing, our souls depend upon God. And what fasting does, it allows us to empty ourselves of human limitations and depend upon the God that we truly need. We honestly can live without food for hours, days, and even weeks, but sometimes our bodies don't seem to do that. We cannot live without God for hours, days, or weeks. Turn with me to our second passage in Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 16. and Jesus' speaking, it says, "...and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret." will reward you. It's important to note here when Jesus says when you fast, this is not a command. The only command in Scripture that deals with the fast dealt with the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. Jesus is not a Day of Atonement. He is our eternal atonement. What Jesus is saying to the believers and those listening to Him right now is that there is an expectation that followers, believers, Christians will fast in their life. You know, as parents, we have expectations of our kids. Jamie and I have expectations for Ethan and Abby that they will keep their rooms livable. Clean would be nice, but some weeks livables do, right, parents? I mean, th- I'll take it. We expect them to take care of their clean clothes and dirty clothes, to put the clean clothes away and make sure the dirty clothes get down to where the washer and dryer are. We expect them to take care of their dishes after supper make sure they get washed off and, and sometimes even to empty and unload the dishwasher and load it back up. We expect them to help out around the house. Now, when our kids don't meet our expectations, that doesn't stop them from being our kids. I don't walk into Ethan's room and see the explosion of Legos everywhere and say, all right, you're out, buddy, we're finding someone else who can take the room and take your space. Okay? When it comes to fasting, it's the same thing. God has this expectation of this, of us, but when we don't do it, it's not like, okay, you're not really my child. He doesn't unadopt us. Nothing Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But when our kids don't do what we expect them to do, I mean, we expect them to be polite and kind to one another, to use uplifting words, there are sometimes negative reactions. There are sometimes times that make us sad that they made that choice. And so God as our Father in that relationship. We see the same thing of sometimes there's negative reactions. We don't get as deeply connected to Him as He wants to be connected to us. And sometimes it makes the Father sad that we're not willing to take a step of faith and do something that may make us us uncomfortable. What Jesus points out in this passage, not a command to fast, but to understand to fast. Fast for service. Fasting is for God. And through fasting, we serve God and we allow our souls to become better prepared to serve God in His work. And so when we begin a fast, according to what Jesus teaches about this, we always have to begin with this question. Why am I doing this? What is my motive behind fasting? I have some ministry friends that every year they will fast from social media for a month. Every year. So any social media, they just cut it off. Their phone, they, they delete it off their phone or their, their tablets. They don't go on it on the computer. And I hear that sometimes, and I, I know the way we use social media as a church. You know, we send out announcements and we connect with one another and prayer requests and things like that. And, and I am think, wow, that, that is. I wonder how they do that. But every year, for the last several years that they've done it, the churches have continued to exist. Their families have continued to remain intact. And, and they continued to live. The world did not end because they were not on a social media platform. But any time they had a desire to open up the phone and check out Facebook or, or uh, Instagram or whatever else is out there that people are using, every time they had that urge to open up the computer and log into that, instead they would turn to Scripture and they would spend that time reading the Word of God instead of reading the posts of people. And world, the world continued to go on. Fasting is originally meant to abstain from food, but there are perhaps other things in our life that are impacting our relationship with God to which we need to abstain from. This is part of our service. I'm doing this so I can serve God in a better capacity. Jesus also points out in this passage in verse 16-8 that we fast for communion. We don't fast for communion with people, we fast for communion with God. If you're ever feeling out of sorts with God in your relationship with Him, fasting is the activity that God has given us to get back in relationship. Jesus speaks of the hypocrites here, and the hypocrites are speaking of Jewish leaders who would go about the cities, and they would wail, and they would mourn, and they would say, I'm fasting, I'm fasting, and they would draw attention to themselves. And Jesus says, they get their reward. They get the eyes of the people maybe the applause of the people, but you are not seeking the applause of men. You're seeking the attention of the Father. And so when we fast, we are to anoint our head and wash our face in verse 17. That means we are to go about our regular activities and do all the things we normally do because we're not seeking to draw attention to ourselves, but rather draw our heart's attention to the Father. The danger Jesus points out with fasting is we can fast with the wrong intentions. But he's not teaching in a legalistic way or in a lawful way. Again, we don't know if Jesus fasted at any other point in his ministry than at the very beginning. Most likely he did, but we aren't told that. Because there's no biblical commands for you to fast. I can't say if you don't do this, you're not saved. But I can say that Jesus says when you fast, that there is an expectation upon us as his people that we'll take part in this procedure. Fasting illuminates our human cravings which we may not have recognized as being controlled by or mastered over until we fasted. And so when we fast, it's always with the intention to being with the Father. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 and to our third passage. This is probably the strongest statement that Jesus made about fasting in His ministry. It begins in verse 14 of chapter 9. It says, then the disciples of John, that would be John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus. They came to him, that hymns Jesus, and saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So they've been watching, they've been observing Jesus and his ways, and they kind of get to the point that this doesn't seem fair. But here's the reality, if they're coming to Jesus to ask him, why are we having to do this, but yours aren't? We can understand right then and there, fasting is not easy. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be times you want to quit. And so they want to know, why are we doing this? But you are making your disciples do this. Verse 15, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests, and by wedding guests he's referring to believers, mourn as long as the bridegroom, the bridegroom is Jesus, is with them. So can believers mourn as long as I am with them? And the days will come when the bridegroom When I, or Jesus, is taken away from them, and then hear it, and then they will fast. See, John taught his disciples there was an expectation and a need for them to fast. You know, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, he said in order for a minister to be ordained as a preacher in the Methodist Church, they must commit to fasting twice a week. Well, Jesus answers these men by giving them an illustration of bridegroom and wedding guests. Again, Jesus is the bridegroom. Believers are the wedding guests. And in Jesus' explanation, He tells these men, while the bridegroom is present, the guests rejoice. And so they do not abstain from anything. But when the bridegroom is going to be taken away, his guests or the believers will mourn for his return and they will fast. So we see that fasting is a hunger for God and a thankfulness that we can be with Him. So when we fast, we fast in thankfulness and worship. John Piper again writes, One of the most important meanings of Christian fasting is to express the hunger of our hearts for the coming of our King. Our fasting is not because we are hungry for something we have not experienced, but because the new wine of Christ's presence is so real and so satisfying, we must have all that is possible to have. And so the Christian fasting is a hunger for the fullness of God, aroused by the aroma of Jesus' love and by the taste of God's goodness. When we fast, we do it because we are thankful. God, I have tasted and known that you are good, and I want more of it. And so I'm fasting so I can enjoy you. We're fasting to serve God who wants to know us deeper. We have to keep in mind, we are loved and known by a God who is not unapproachable or unknowable. But we are loved and saved and known by a God who wants to be known more, who wants to be in deeper connection, who wants to be found And so when we fast, we release our earthly cravings and we fill them with the eternal. We could preach on fasting, but I believe fasting is kind of an alien thing for most Christians. It's a foreign concept. We know that it's there in Scripture. We know that it happens. But again, I don't know how many Christians actually fast. And so what I want to do as we wrap up this morning is I want to deal with the subject on how do we fast. Again, Scripture predominantly points to abstaining from food, but there are other things in our life which may rule over us. Some of us may need to fast from sports, but here's the thing. You cannot fast from football starting tomorrow. That's a scheduling conflict, okay? That's not fast. But some of us may need to fast from some hobbies or activities, maybe some addictions or substances. To abstain from something so I can draw deeper to God. As I mentioned, I have friends who fast from social media for a month, and they just focus on their relationship with God. They also spend that time to prepare for the next year. There's a time in my life when I fasted from R-rated movies. The only exception I made is the Passion of Christ just happened to come out during that period of time when I was fasting from R-rated movies. I prayed, and, and I sought God, and He said, okay, you can go see it. But, uh, day of Atonement is the only time that God defined as a day in fasting. When you read throughout Scripture, there is a one-day, three-day, seven-day, and 40-day fast. But here's the thing, the length of the fast isn't as important as the motive. Our motive to fast is we want to know God more. And so, Ethan, can you throw up that next screen? So here are some ways to fast. Again, always begin with the motive, why am I doing this? I don't want to just do this simply because, you know, I haven't done it. I want to do this, even if you never thought about fasting until this moment, because I want to know God more. And so these are the types of fasts that people have partaken that we see throughout Scripture. The partial fast deals when it can concern food, but it can also concern TV and computers, cell phones, video games, work, or hobbies. The purpose is to abstain from an activity so we can focus on God. So we do a partial fast, meaning I may. Fast through lunch. And so instead of my lunch time or lunch hour, or however much time you get for lunch, instead of going to eat lunch, I'm going to open my Bible, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to pray that entire time and spend it with God. And you read through Scripture, the Daniel fast is a, an example of a partial fast. If you aren't familiar with the Daniel fast, the Daniel fast deals with Daniel and his three buddies who decided they were not going to eat certain foods that were given to them, but they were going to abstain from those foods and only eat the foods that they believed were proper and what God had had declared clean. And God blessed that. And so it's not that they had stopped eating, they were just partially fasting from certain things. Catholic Lent is meant to be this, But the problem sometimes Catholic Lent does is they abstain from, like, red meat, but then they have fried fish buffets. And that kind of is the opposite of the purpose of a fast. I'm wanting to focus on God. I'm sacrificing something in my life for the sake of my relationship with God. So let's say, for example, we're going to do a partial fast this week from TV. So one night... This week, we're going to not turn on the TV. In the time we would sit in our chair and watch TV, we're going to have the Bible open. We're going to be listening maybe to some other sermon being preached. We're going to be praying. If you do that, do not, do not set your DVR to record the shows you would miss. That's not fasting. That's simply putting something off to another time. Delete the recording, make it so it does not record. You have to sacrifice something in order for it to be a fast. But a partial fast may be where you want to begin. I'm going to fast from this for for this period of time. I'm not going to eat this this day or this week. I'm not, whatever. But that's a partial fast. Then there's the absolute fast, which these aren't really ranked in order. The absolute fast is, it can be a partial or it can be a whole day or 24 hours. It's, It's going to say, I'm going to fast from food and water completely and every time i get thirsty i'm going to pray i'm going to read god's word every time i get hungry i'm going to pray and read god's word but i'm going to fast from every substance that would go into my body for nourishment and i'm going to allow god to nourish me it is estimated that an average individual can survive without water for three to four days and so it's possible next is the one day fast this is the most common fast in Scripture. And what the one-day fast did is from sunrise to sundown, an individual would typically do an absolute fast. They wouldn't eat or drink anything. Sometimes it was a partial fast, but most times it was absolute. And so from sunrise to sundown, they would be fasting. They'd be focused on their relationship with God. They'd be seeking after Him. And was, I guess there was a loophole in that is that you could wake up before the sun came up and then go to bed when the sun went down. But the thing is, when we go back to Jesus' teaching, He says the fast that you do, is you're supposed to go about your regular activities. And so you're not supposed to change anything that you would normally do in the midst of a fast. So it's business as usual. Word of caution when it comes to a fast. If you're married, make sure your spouse knows you're going to do a fast. That is the only person you have to let know. And the only reason I say that is because you do not want them to be insulted when you don't eat their food. Okay? You don't want to cause marriage problems, so you just give them a heads up. Hey, I'm going to fast from this, this, this day or this week or whatever, and then everything will be all right. I understand some people have dietary restrictions, and so the idea of fasting may not be something that is medically wise. And there's ways around that. You can get shakes and juices and drink water and if you're really nervous about it go talk to your doctor and say i'm really feeling like this is something that god wants me to do and i just want to make sure i do it in a way that is healthy for me the 24-hour fast may sound like the one-day fast but it is completely different because the meaning is in the name itself it's 24 hours so i'm going to wake up monday at 7 a.m i don't wake up at 7 a.m but whenever i wake up on monday i'm going to fast from that point to the next day on Tuesday and I'm not going to have anything most times people just do this where they only drink water now when you do a 24-hour fast here's a little heads up you're going to get hangry you're going to maybe get dizzy and have a headache at times you're you're going to have maybe emotional response your stomach is going to remind you it is hungry and normally you feed it when our stomachs do this in the midst of a fast it is reminding us that it is like a spoiled child living inside of us that needs to be mastered and controlled. And so what we're doing is we're trying to obey Paul's instructions that not to be dominated by anything in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 36-hour fast, pretty obvious. The three-day fast. These sort of fasts, are, we're, we're abstaining for something for three whole days. So if you start on Monday, then you're not going to go back to whatever that is until Thursday. If it's food, then you're only going to drink water. That's the only thing you're going to drink. And the store fast is a great fast and to focus on the last week of Jesus' ministry. You're fasting for three days, and Jesus was in the tomb three days. Again, you're going to have headaches. You're going to have feelings of discomfort. You're going to feel lethargic at times. This is our bodies going through withdrawal symptoms. Our bodies are reminding us that it has become dependent on something other than God, and so we're we're allowing God to cleanse that the seven-day fast a little bit heads up about a seven-day fast by day four your hunger pains are going to amplify extremely day four and five are probably going to be the worst days of your life if you've never done a seven-day fast but by day six and seven you're going to begin to feel more alert and more focused but four and five you're going to feel you're going to need to take things slowly It's going to take you a little bit more effort to focus. You may even want to take a personal day on one of those days. Um, But you can do it. Then there's the 40-day fast. And that may sound impossible, but there are people who are not named Jesus who did do a 40-day fast. The point of the fast is to make God our sustenance and substance. And in any sort of fast you do, here's what you have to be aware of you are going to be engaging on the front lines in a spiritual battle in ways you may have never experienced before in your life. Because the moment we say that I want to turn my attention on God, my heart to God, I want to be completely dependent upon Him and serve Him and have a deeper connection with Him, the moment we do that, Satan's going to say, ha, ha, ha not so quick. So you have to be aware that you're going to be, this isn't just, well, I'm, I'm going to fast. It, We need to pray about it. We need to to make sure we're mentally and spiritually ready for it. But here's the application this morning, if you haven't quite guessed where we're going to get with the application. This week, I want all of us here to do one of these. Maybe this afternoon you spend some time just saying, okay, which one am I going to do? Is it going to be with food? Maybe there's something in your life. I've had people um, that have fasted from things that they know they've been addicted to. And so they fasted, and they originally started, they were going to fast as a seven-day fast, and it ended up continuing because they realized that they were addicted, and that was controlling their life and where they would go and how they would spend their money and, and, and how they would behave. And so it extended, and some people never went back to that addiction. But for all of us to take this challenge that I'm going to fast from something, whether it be food or video games, students, you cannot fast from school. It's illegal. You can't do it. But, or homework. I'm trying to help you out, parents. Anything else I need to tell them they can't fast from? Or bathing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Axe spray does not cover a non-showering fast. So... Um, But to take this challenge and and to seek after God in this moment, if you're struggling, if you're worried, if you're wrestling with something, Scripture says fasting is the means in which God's people overcome those things. If you're struggling to hear from God, if you're struggling to experience God in your life, Scripture reveals that fasting is the means to which God uses for His people to turn the corner. If you're longing for God to do something that only He can do in your life, or if you're at a place right now you feel you've drifted away from God, Scripture reveals that fasting is the means that God uses for His people to return. Because when we fast, we have to humble ourselves to God. So fast. What if you're here and you're not a believer? Because this obviously is coming from God's Word it's, it, and it's the Bible. What does what this message on fasting have to do with you? Well, in our last passage in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus spoke of a time when He would be taken away. And here's the thing, if you are not a believer, we are living in that time right now. Jesus has died on the cross. They placed Him in a tomb. He rose three days later. He was witnessed by hundreds of people for 40 days. And then He ascended to the right hand of the Father with this promise, I am going to return. I am coming back. And so my question for you is, as we await the bridegroom, Are you ready for Jesus Christ's return? Are you confident that if Jesus Christ were to come before the kickoff this afternoon, that you would be going home with Him? If not, then this is why you're here. God is extending a gift of grace and love to you right now. The Bible tells us that God created us for Him and in His image and in His likeness. That there is a God and He des- desires to be worshipped and loved by us. And if you aren't a believer, here's the reality. You are already worshipping something. You are already loving something. Something is already taking your attention and your devotion. And God wants that. But the problem with all of us is we all have a rebellious heart. It's what the Bible calls sin. We do things we know we shouldn't do and then we still try to get away with it. And because we have sin in our life and sin in our heart, that, that separates us from the love of God and His grace and His mercy. And it answers the question whether or not I will go back with Jesus if that sin problem's not taken care of. And so you may be here and you try to be a good person, you try to do the right things, but that doesn't do it. God sent Jesus Christ to be our atoning sacrifice. The word atone means He came to redeem and pay our sin in full through His death and resurrection. And the Bible says that if I confess that with my mouth because I believe it in my heart, that that is truth, that Jesus died and rose again, that I could be forgiven, and I could re- go home with the Son when He returns, then I can be saved, and I'll be given eternal life. You're saying if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not made that personal statement of faith, you're not saved. You could be doing all the right things and completely miss it. But God wants to change that today, and we're going to come to this time of invitation. I'm going to ask Bridget and Sir Nikolai to come on up. If you need to respond by accepting Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and begin a relationship with God, I'm going to be down here. You just come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to make sure that I am sealed by the blood of the Lamb. Maybe you're here this morning, and we talk about fasting, and that challenge, the first thing you think is, well, ugh, no thank you, because it's going to be tough. Maybe he's need to come and kneel before the Father and Father give me strength when I am weak. The spirit inside me is willing, but my flesh is weak. Maybe he's come and kneel before the Father and, and admit that to him. Maybe you need to pray to God, to God, which, which one do I need to do in my life? If I need to do it partial and absolute, one day, 24 hour, what do you want me to do? Not what do I think I can do, but what do you want me to do? I guarantee you it'll be worth it, but I also guarantee you it'll be hard. Let's pray together. It's time of invitation. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all the gifts you've given us that we may connect with you. Lord, I thank you that you have given us grace and mercy beyond belief, more than we can ever fathom. Thank you for the love you've given us, and it's deep and wide, and we'll never fully understand all of it. But Lord, we know you're good, and you have a plan and a purpose for our life. And sometimes, Lord, we get so distracted and so blinded by all the things going on around us and all the things we think that we need. And, Lord, we really need You, and that's it. So let us hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let us be poor in spirit. Let us humble ourselves before You. And I thank You for what You're going to do this week, Lord. I pray that Your Spirit just overwhelms Your children when they seek out this discipline to apply to their life, that they just feel Your presence and hear Your Word and, and see things they've never seen before. Reveal things in our life that You've been trying to get our attention about, but we've been too blinded by all these other distractions. But Lord, let us seek Your face. Let us humble ourselves. It's done in a promise that You will hear us when we do such things. Forgive us if we failed you in any times we've been in your word. And praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.